This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to The Drill Down. We've got business stories behind Stocks and the Move. I'm Corey Johnson, and this is episode number 176. Well, just ahead, Spotify explains how its podcasting business is oh so different than its streaming music business. And a sneaky, smart insight into the future of tech with a look at electronics test maker, Teradyne. And we'll introduce you to one of the leaders in the booming social customer service software market. Yeah, that's a thing. All those messages you get in all those places managed by a company called Sprinkler. We've got the CEO, Reggie Thomas. It's a fascinating conversation. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With Era, customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And spread the word about the Drill Down podcast. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, make your kids listen, subscribe to us, click the follow button, and maybe leave a review on iTunes telling the rest of the world why you like the Drill Down. And the Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind Stocks on the Move and joining me to help me do that is executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac. Hey, Corey. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Let's start with Spotify. A lot of our listeners uh, uh, listening to this podcast on Spotify. Yes, I always have my Spotify queue ready to go. Uh, trades under Spot, S-P-O-T. Spot shares have fallen 66% in a year, currently trading around 84 bucks a share far from their 52-week high of $305 a share. So some of our listeners uh, consume podcasts. A few of them. Some of them. And some of them are interested in business. A few. Yeah, maybe. So uh, for those of you out there (laughs) listening to podcasts, who listen to podcasts and are interested in business, uh, what an interesting conversation with Daniel Eck, the CEO of Spotify, talking about the podcasting business. Spotify has been uh, spent a lot of money acquiring podcasts and podcast creation companies, as well as companies that deliver advertising in spot in podcasts and monitor the um, uh, growth or lack thereof in podcasts. Uh, they've put a lot of investment into this business and yet they did a really big restructuring and an expensive restructuring. They didn't give a lot of details about what was working and what wasn't working. But when asked about this on their most recent uh, quarterly conference called Danny like the CEO, who's a person I find um, uh, really thoughtful. Um, I met him a million years ago and, um, when this company was just starting and Spotify obviously has become a dominant uh, business uh, in the world of, of streaming music, which wasn't a thing when they launched it, obviously, um, at least nothing like this. Um, the podcast business is really different for them. And they look at um, how that business works so differently from their music business 
And this restructuring, they think, is going to unleash some more value and more profits, even though this uh, restructuring is costing them a little bit of money uh, in the short term. They're very bullish in the long term. Here is CEO Daniel Ek. If you really separate it out uh, from the business standpoint, um, you know, you can really think about it as two major parts of the business at the present moment with more being developed with audiobooks, etc. So the two major parts is obviously our music business side and then it's our podcasting uh, business side. On the structural side on podcasting, we believe that to long term be a much higher gross margin business than the one we're currently in in music, simply because uh, the, the, the way to mimic that would be to look at platform type of businesses that usually end up having a higher gross margin um, than, than normal services. And then on the music side, um, you know, in, in the prior question, it came a question about pricing. So any pricing we would do would be accretive to that business too. Uh, and as mentioned, we've been selective in doing it during the pandemic uh, in, in macro environments and we'll do so opportunistically too. But if you think in light of our competitors raising prices, that obviously gives us more confidence uh, going into the two. So uh, we're, we're very bullish long-term. So acknowledging what we're hearing from so many companies about a pullback in advertising, acknowledging that there's a macro environment that is making uh, business a little more difficult uh, as we come out of the pandemic, but also seeing that the podcasting business could be much higher margin than the music business just because the costs are so much lower and they think they've got the customer traction. And of course, as they've told us in the past, the podcast listeners on the free Spotify site are more likely to convert to paid subscribers than the music listeners on the free site. I find that very interesting, but I'm also not completely surprised. I mean, anyone that uses Spotify, such as myself, it's, it's hard to go to a different platform because Spotify is so easy, so intuitive. The user experience is so rich. Well, in podcast, it's all right there. Better people than the rest of the people in the world. <laughs> There's two kinds I would love of people, to think losers that. and podcast listeners. <laughs> and if you're a loser, you are, you are, you are, you are making yourself a better person just by listening to a podcast, regardless right. of which podcast, although All right. some. All right, let's take cold showers. Corey, what is your next drill down? I want to look at Teradyne. Teradyne. Now, I did not know um, this company before today. Teradyne trades under TER and shares have risen almost 12% over the past five days. But if you look at a 12-month chart, not so pretty. They've tumbled 27% in a year. But a good spike over the past five days. Yeah, this is a big company. I mean, it's yeah. a twelve billion dollar market cap company. Yeah, um, based in. Have you been to North Reading, Massachusetts? I have not. Well, I have. Wow, that's fascinating. Last time I was there, you know where I, what I was doing? I don't. I was visiting Teradyne. That was a pretty big clue already. We we're talking about Teradyne. <laughs> I was visiting Teradyne. I was, uh, um, and. I, I got a uh, visiting with, you know, investor relations. I think the CFO, I had a meeting with the CFO and I was just kind of kicking the tires to see if this was a stock. This was my, my hedge fund days. And, yeah. and whenever I go to a town, I try to see any, I try to find companies that are ignored by other um, investors and see if there's an opportunity long yeah. or short. And I went in there and, and the, the prevailing notion at that time was that they were facing some really difficult times. These guys do semiconductor test equipment. They also test robots and they test other industrial things with but fundamentally, they've got these big machines that are often the size of a room or sometimes smaller that can test the semiconductors as they come out of a factory or even, even test wafers and so on. It's an important part 
of semiconductor um, production, and that's something that's often ignored. I think. Well, their cl- their clients is a their client list is a who's who. Yeah, Samsung, Qualcomm, Intel, they're all, uh, IBM, yeah. Texas Instruments, AAM, um, you know, uh, you name it. Um, and so, uh, and they all kinds of chips, whether from really complicated chips. Um, uh, like those from Intel or Qualcomm or some kind of simpler chips like those from analog devices. Um, and so these guys really have a good overview of what's happening in the semiconductor business and what's happening in tech. That time that I visited these guys, there was a perception that they were about to enter a tough period. Um, the stock was down quite a bit. And as I walked through the, uh, you know, through the factory and I got the little tour from the, I think, I don't know if I can't remember if it was an investor relations person or not. Um, I was like, where are these machines going? And oh, these are going to Sony. And, and uh, for oh, for what? What is Sony doing? And so, oh, well, the PlayStation. We're testing all the chips for the play, the new PlayStation. What year was this? What year was this? This this tour know, took 2000, place. Two thousand six, maybe two thousand five. Oh, oh so not like nineteen seventy. No, the stock was probably, yeah, exactly. Someday Sony will have a PlayStation in the future in space when we all take the tram to work. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and, and then we'll have Twitter. Huh? Yeah. Um, no, this was probably 2005 and this wasn't yeah. baked in and it wasn't like he was revealing. Well, he didn't think he was revealing some great big secret, but I went out and did the homework and I'm like, Hey, nobody else knows they've got this Sony customer. I think, um, it didn't ultimately tr- prove to be a huge, uh, return on investment, but I think the stock went from like 13 to 17 or 18. That was, you know, not nothing. Yeah, that's not nothing. percent move. Yeah. Um, in any case, uh, it, it always had me, Teradyne always has a fond place in my heart there in industrial Massachusetts, not a place you would expect to find a, a, a top-notch semiconductor test equipment company. So it was interesting to listen to their conference call because, you know, we have this this moment in our economy. We don't know where things are going. We don't know where tech is going. We don't know if a lot more PCs will be sold in the next, call it 18 months. We don't know if a lot of mobile devices will be sold. And if the slowdown in mobile that happened this year and the slowdown in PCs that seems to be happening now if it's going to continue, but you know who knows is Teradyne because the orders they are getting now are for things that they will produce over the next six to 18 months. So their customers are saying not where things are now, but where things are going to be. And what they're seeing Mm -hmm. is there are a lot of orders coming and things are slowing down in Europe, but they're getting a lot of orders um, uh, uh, elsewhere, particularly in the mobile business, which seems to be picking up more long-term and maybe less so in the PC business. So I thought it was interesting to compare the comments from the president of the company, Greg Smith, and then the CEO, uh, Mark Jaglia. Um, let me start with Greg Smith talking about uh, what the backlogs look like and who wants more stuff. What we see with our, our partners is that they actually are maintaining very high project backlogs, and they're trying to work through those projects and add to their capacity at the same time so that they're able to support a higher level of business. So we haven't seen a pullback in regions other than Europe. Um, it's much more a constraint, a capacity constraint in our traditional distributor channel. Okay, so the only pullback he's seeing in Europe, is that conservative? Is that optimistic? I'm the same call. Here's what CEO Mark Jaglia had to say. Well, I, I don't think we're being conservative or optimistic in terms of beyond Q1. We just don't have visibility. And so we could be speculative, maybe, but it's just, the, the, you know, being a little bit prudent of what we know versus what we speculate. And, you know, I think the days of inventory on in the semiconductor supply chain suggest there's just digestion needed. And that 
should be something that's already starting and perhaps works its way through by next summer in many of these markets. But the, the bottom line is we don't know, and so we don't want to go out too far on a speculation. So there you have it from the horse's mouth. They don't really know. They, they don't want to speculate too much. They want to fill the orders they've got. They can see that uh, things are easing up a little bit in the semiconductor business, but that maybe down the road things might not be so bad. I think it's interesting that you see this kind of thing at a um, at a time this kind of time in the economy where people are pulling back for concerns that fears others might pull back, even though no one's right. actually pulling back because their business is slowing down. But it could cause a slowdown all in a, by itself. We have heard we've been hearing that a lot over the past couple of months from our guests that and and the sound yeah. by, and the stories we tell. You know, it's like, well, yes, there's uncertainty, but we have orders. We've got, we've got customers, people are willing to pay. It's interesting. And I think it also suggests that even if there is a, um, a recession, it may be like the most recent recessions, which have been pretty quick and right. not the long drawn out. We, you know, we could only hope if there is a recession at all, that it won't be so bad. Um, if we're not in one already, because these, cause no one's really seeing massive, massive pullbacks. It's just in businesses like advertising and things where people pull back spending for concern of a pullback. Right. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Crown Holdings. Crown Holdings trades under CCK and shares have dropped 16% over the past five days and are about 31% lower in a year. I used to be called Crown Castle. I don't know if you know this business. Did you know that, uh, have we talked with this, Isaac, that I was in a gang? Oh God, oh God, where's this going? No. What, what do you mean? A gang? Well, it wasn't really a gang. Uh-huh. Shocking. It was an organization of men who did things, bad. teenagers. Okay. Who did bad, illegal stuff. All right. I guess Criminal you could activity. say, I guess you could say I was in a gang in high school too. <laughs> Is this high school we're talking about for you? Yes. Um, uh-huh. In uh-huh. my little town outside of Rochester, New York there was a big factory for the American Can Company and it was owned ultimately by Crown Castle, uh, now known as Crown Holdings, and they made cans. I mean, beer cans mostly, mostly for Genesee beer. Genesee was a nearby brewery. For those no. of you considering drinking Genesee cream ale, let me just say, don't do it. I've You're never heard of it. it. I've never heard of it. It's gnarly. Oh. Um, uh, much love for the people of upstate New York and the suffering they've gone through with Genesee cream ale. In any case, um, my buddies would hang out in the village near the, uh, in the village of Fairport near the, uh, American can company factory in these giant wooden crates that they would eventually go on, um, be filled with presumably cans and go on uh, rail cars, uh, near there. We'd go in there and drink beer as uh-huh. teenagers, uh-huh. break into the crates. This was your quote gang. And, and we became known as the crates. And later when we met the more <laughs> suburban kids on the outskirts of town, they would do the same thing. They oh would go into like this farm between these two farms, this wooded area and that they called the caverns and they would drink beer in the caverns. And when we all merged into the same high school, we would get together socially. It was the crates versus the caverns. Oh, you guys should open up a retail business. I like that. Crate, yeah, crate and cavern. Bigger and better things these days. Um, I hope I haven't revealed any great secrets uh, of the crates and caverns. I don't, I don't think case, you have. I don't think, I think you're safe. I think you're totally I don't know if the safe. the would agree. Um, uh, Bless their case, hearts. Uh, Bless uh, all of their hearts. Looking at the, uh, so Crown Holdings has a mm-hmm. place uh, near and dear to my heart reporting earnings this week. 
that uh, finally for this company lined up with what their competitors had been saying. So three months ago, you had this company, um, uh, two of their kind of competitors in the global beverage can space were saying that things were uh, starting to look weak. And Crown Holdings said, no, we're doing fine. Well, now Crown Holdings is saying it's a sudden and sharp decline in global beverage can demand in the third quarter. They lowered their guidance for the coming uh, quarter and coming year, specifically citing not just a slowdown in consumption, uh, but also in the costs of, of goods. Cost of goods, of course, is about metal. It's about aluminum. And um, the raw material issues for this company are significant because, yeah, you got to buy the metal before you can make the can. Here's CEO Tim Donahue. Let me explain the, the, the metal issue. This is a raw material issue for us. So in, um, it's, it's not a North American issue for us because we're tied up pretty well with the customers. We have some customers in Europe and, and certainly the large majority, majority of customers in Asia where we have pricing formulas whereby we price cans to them uh, based on a formula that includes, uh, let's say, the LME price one month, two months, three months prior from when we deliver the cans. So we'll have procured metal at a period of time, and then we'll sell the cans after converting uh, in the future. And that generally that conversion and that contract, uh, if you want to use M minus one or M minus two, three month minus one, if you follow me, generally lines up pretty well. And as I said, um, coming out of the last couple of years where we've had significant supply chain concerns around aluminum and expecting higher volumes, specifically in Asia, uh, we would certainly not have wanted to miss shipments to customers and we procured the metal we thought we needed uh, to make deliveries. And when those uh, call-offs began to uh, become lower or disappear, we now have more raw material at prices uh, that reflect the LME in May, June, July, August, and now we're not going to deliver those cans on an on an M minus two or M minus three basis. We're going to deliver them four or five months out. Now, when the LME is ten to fifteen to twenty percent lower, so that that gives rise to the cost headwind we're describing for you. I'm proud to say uh, the cost headwinds he's facing have nothing to do with us defiling the crates outside of the American Can Company. No longer a factory. <laughs> Now a wine bar, there's a bourbon a distillery there and a club. The chic oh, wow. place now. You know, that old American Can Company factory. Sounds fun. Sounds, sounds like a lot of fun. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to a really interesting company that is, is so 2022, managing the way that companies reach their customers, whether it's in chats and, and customer service phone calls and Twitter and social media and messaging and email all under one uh, roof, if you will, one software roof. The software is called Sprinkler and the CEO, Reggie Thomas, joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. Hi, right, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined, as promised, by the CEO of Sprinkler and founder of Sprinkler, uh, Raji Thomas. Raji, glad to have you. Um, uh, 
having read your 10K investor presentations, proxy statements, I don't know how to begin to describe what your company does. How do you describe it? Well, we're building a unified platform for large companies to do all customer facing functions. And that's a new concept. So basically, imagine having one platform where you can do customer service and marketing and advertising and understand what your users or customers want across all channels. And that's really the channels vision such for, as um, everything from social media channels, messaging channels. And right now we've email, text, and we've just added voice to our customer service suite. So truly omni-channel. Is this about customer service principally, or is it about reaching out to new customers or potential customers and marketing? Both. Okay. So the easiest way to understand us is think of us as a next generation customer service platform. If you're a CMO, think of us as a next generation um, marketing platform. If you're a CEO, just understand that bringing them together will allow you to do things that you've never done before. I'm thinking about this a lot. This will be news for our viewers, but I've been helping a friend who's running for district attorney of San Francisco, mm -hmm. uh, Joe Alito Veronese. I think he's the best candidate. He's also my great friend. But uh, building this organization to reach out to voters to tell our story using modern technology has been really interesting. Yeah. You know, I've been covering this stuff for a long time as a journalist. I've been, I know, parts of big organizations marketing my, my uh, broadcasts, whether they're on television or radio or, or, or podcasts and even working on, on our marketing message for the Drill Down podcast. But it's really interesting to build a multi-channel, right, with text, online, television, uh, cable, uh, a, different, a different animal in television, streaming, and to try to tell the story and, and all the tools that are available and try to manage that stuff. Mm -hmm. And you just gave me my sales pitch back. That's really why Sprinkler is going to be a very big company. Um, there is just no way, if you're a politician or if you're a large company, there's no real way for you to coordinate what you want to say and understand what people want to say to you in just one unified way. And that's really the big idea behind Sprinkler. And you can't treat this as here's my email platform, here's my social media platform, there is my phone customer service system, here is my you know, marketing automation system. There's a person, there's a customer or there's a prospect who wants to talk to your business. And that- A voter might, in my case. Yeah, well, so but let me back that up. So talk to me about why you can't do that. Why you can't do it the way that it has been done, which is manage your, oh, you've got someone that manages your email platform. You've got somebody else who manages your text messaging platform, but they all report up to the same boss. Why can't you do that separately? Well, we got a 60, 70 year legacy uh, that we have to overcome. But when we started building a first generation customer service, um, that was just all over, just just phone originally. And then we, you know, but I don't know, 30 years later, we added email. That was the next channel. And in the last 15 years, there has been a proliferation of channels that just made this problem like super bad and to the point that you need a solution. And we started out being the solution for all the modern channels and just added the legacy channels onto it. And yeah, I guess I'm thinking of the, the, there's a social media tool that I've used a little bit uh, called Hootsuite, yes. right? So it lets me, it lets me manage Twitter 
and Facebook and Instagram and and maybe TikTok now. I don't know. I don't, I don't really use it that much anymore. But I guess that was just social media stuff. And even that was a complicated process, but it let you kind of see all the different channels and all the different ways you had to structure things, uh, which could be challenging. Mm -hmm. So we started out being a social media management platform for the enterprise. And just very quickly after founding the company in 2009, in three years or so, we realized there's a much bigger problem to solve here, not just social media and outbound publishing. And that really 13 years later got us to a place where we are a next generation customer service platform. We are a next generation marketing platform and we have the next generation research all on like one unified um, capability. You talk a lot in your SEC filings about kind of customer, I'll call it, I'm trying to avoid the MBA words and your, your stuff is full year day. You've got an MBA from the <laughs> prestigious New York University. I have an undergraduate degree from New York University, so I'm a big fan. Um, but I, the, uh, and I hope it's prestige continues to outpace my, my <laughs> success. <laughs> Makes me look better every year. Um, the, the stuff that I see in, in your prospectus and so on uh, from a year ago when you went public and, and, and you're in your 10K, there's lots of MBA speak in there. So I'll try to avoid it uh, as best possible. But I think that uh, it's really interesting how much focus you put into enrolling a customer getting a customer on board, having a day zero meeting where they can understand what you're trying to do and try to figure out what they are trying to do. Um, it, it was intriguing to me that you have so much focus on that. Well, we have our vision is to create the world's most loved enterprise software company. So we're not just trying to create this new category that we call unified customer experience management. We're also trying to create a different kind of company. Enterprise software companies don't have a reputation of post-sale service execution. They have a reputation of hard selling salespeople, getting companies to sign contracts. And um, slow rollouts of the product getting in, in the door, but in slow correct. installs that take months and years. Correct, so we've got hundreds of people whose job is to make sure that the customers who are onboarded are using the product and are getting measurable value from using the product. So we have over 98 customers that, that pay us north of a million dollars a year. So they're making a strategic investment in a platform like this. And we've got to make sure that they're getting value out of it. And their customers are having better experience because you know we're able to unify these channels and functions for these large brands. As a consumer, you, 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 I'm sure you, you face this problem like all of us do. If you try to reach out to somebody, I'll, I'll give you an example, real world example. Two weeks ago, I had I had to reach a tech company for a product I was using. I tried to go on their website and find a number. I couldn't find a customer service number. They redirected me to chat, which is great. And I spent 20 minutes. If there's a person there, yes, asking the question correctly, 20 minutes, right? Right. I spent 20 minutes outlining the problem. Person understood, oh my God, this is a problem. And I'm going to have somebody follow up with you. That's the end of a 20 minute chat conversation. And, you know, nobody called me back in like hours. So I go back on chat again, because that's the only, only channel available. And there was no context of who I spoke to. So I had to repeat this like for six minutes for them to connect the thread on the same channel. And then yeah. I send an email and there is no, it's almost like, you know, 
50 first dates. You, you just, you have no context across channels. With, you have no context within a channel in many cases. You have no context across the channels. And my God, this is schizophrenic if you're a customer. I'll bet that's even harder uh, in this new era where cookie management is more difficult, where, where companies like Apple protecting consumer privacy are keeping users to sort of log in with a cookie so that when you were, I'm, I'm assuming the, the tech company you're referring to was Ferrari. <laughs> and so while you were trying to get a hold of Ferrari, you got to figure out your car can go even faster. Uh, knowing who you are every time you log on or something is probably harder than it used to be. Well, cookies help you identify, you know, the customer on the website. Um, but I'm talking about actual live interactions with the brand for customer service, or if you're having a sales conversation, you have to be able to preserve context across channels and sessions, and you have to create better experiences for customers. This is a huge idea whose time has come. We, we need it now. And it's just a large technology problem to solve. And we've been working on it for 13 years. Is, a, is, is marketing a bigger business or is a customer service a bigger business? So we have four product suites. One is our customer service product suite. One is our marketing and advertising product suite. One is a sales and engagement product suite. And the other one is a research product suite. So we've publicly talked about all of those being at scale. They're all like, you know, 100 million plus or similar size. So both marketing and customer service are growing for us. We have chosen to put a little more emphasis on customer service now because all the traditional contact centers are coming up for, um, you know, consolidation and moving to the cloud. Why is that the case? Well, the, the traditional contact center infrastructure is 20, 30 years old in many cases, and it's built on the old telephony stack. And, you yeah. know, telephony has become a, uh, very different with Amazons and Twilio's of the world providing much better, cheaper alternatives. And God, I was listening to a, I was listening to another a political podcast, as I mentioned, in, in interest of mine. Uh, lately, and um, they were talking about the difficulty of polling on the phone mm -hmm. and how they used to do polling and they'd call 100 people and they'd talk to 85 of them and find out where they stood on certain issues or with certain candidates. And now in order to get 85 people, they got to call 10,000 people. Uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And so businesses built on telephone calls, on telephone contact, just aren't working. They should be using uh, digital listening instead of calling people. It's not 1982. You know what I'm saying? There are so much better ways to reach people and get their opinion. I would say you have to start by listening. Like how many, how many of these, you know, how many people or how many people who want to call them are actually listening to what people are saying in the first place? And if you have AI like we do, you can use our platform to understand what people are saying publicly. So start there and then you can ask them a question. Uh, but if you're not listening, I think it's just you're interrupting people by trying to do old-fashioned phone calls and surveys. What do, what do you do in terms of targeting to make sure that you're you're marketing to or dealing with, you know, if you're doing customer service for, I don't know, Hoover vacuums, you want to make sure that you're talking to people who have Hoover vacuums. And so that listening has got to be really targeted, uh, uh, which sounds like it'd be really difficult. Uh, no, actually, our um, the artificial intelligence capabilities today have evolved so much. So we literally bring in every piece of legally available external data that's 
the Twitter firehose, blogs, forums, ratings, reviews, anything that's public and you have access to. And we can read over a hundred languages and use AI with seven layers of AI that will go through and understand semantically what this is. So if you, if you leave a review and say, Hey, I actually love this Samsung phone, but I think it's too expensive compared to a Google pixel, which has got better camera. We can break it down by product and feature and then come back and just help Samsung and Google help understand what do people like, what, what do people don't like, and what are they comparing each attribute to and what other competitors you should be concerned about. It's fascinating business. Uh, do you find it's difficult to, um, are customers really looking for change? You mentioned uh, customer service organizations going from call centers to the cloud. Um, and I don't, I don't know why that would be happening now more than it was two years ago or more or less than it will be two years from now. But what are the drivers of interest or do you have to really coach up your customers to say, hey, here's what you could have that you never thought about before? Well, first off, the uh, proliferation of channels and the problem it's presenting to customers has become a real deal. Second of all, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll back you up with that with one of the slides you have in your recent investor deck. And you list all the platforms and social messaging, forums, blogs, reviews, newsletters, comments, but with logos. Yes. And then you look at the logos and you see, okay, social. Okay, well, I kind of get that Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Oh, yeah, TikTok. Oh, yeah, Snapchat. Oh, yeah, Instagram. Those are all the, oh, oh there's, there's uh, WhatsApp. There's text messages. There's Android messages. Oh, wait, there's forums. Oh, so you've got Dig and you've got uh, Reddit. Oh, wait, then the blogs, all the Wix blogs and all the, uh, oh, then reviews with Amazon and CNET. And then you, you start to think about it, you know, MailChimp and all the newsletter possible. And then all of a sudden, what a mess. And, and, and it's actually worse. You think about your, being a global company in, in, in China, it's all WeChat. If you're in Japan, WeChat, there is yeah. Line, there's VK, there's, you know, it, it's, it, it's a huge problem. The second thing that makes it kind of, very, very uh, urgent for businesses to tackle this, is your customer now has a voice. Do you, Corey, buy anything without checking out a review? That, you know, when it's expensive, you always check a review before buying something. People decide not to go to a restaurant but after reading a review. Um, I was gonna go back to our Ferrari example, but yes, continue. <laughs> so the, the point is, this is now beginning to have a real impact on sales and marketing and branding. Your brand is not what you say it is anymore. 20 years ago, you would run an ad and that became your brand. And today, if your brand doesn't reflect what you want it to be or what you say it is going to be, people call you out and other people listen to it and your company collapses. What a fascinating business. What a fascinating time for your business. Uh, you guys have been growing, I think, what is it, 27% year over year and right on the top line? Yeah, we just yeah, posted 29% subscription growth, which is our technology platform growth. Um, and we are, we're growing at a, at a really good clip. Uh, and, and you're looking at acquisitions, but it's really mostly organic growth. It's been largely organic growth. We've done 13 acquisitions, but they were all tucking and small. Um, and our... The big idea here is to have one unified platform. So it's very important that we have everything baked into a clean architecture from the ground up. Fascinating company, fascinating uh, conversation. Raji Thomas, the CEO of Sprinkler. 
Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk to you soon. All right, coming up next on the Drill Down Podcast, we're going to have the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Sprinkler. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage connected directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And you can listen to The Drill Down on your smart speaker by saying, hey, smart speaker, or, you know, fill in the blank. I don't want to get my smart speaker all excited by saying its name, but you know her name. You can say, hey, smart speaker, play The Drill Down podcast, and you'll pick up right where you left off the last show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back on the Drill Down Podcast. We've got the bites, that one number that tells us a whole lot about Sprinkler. Isaac, his company, I probably should have given some context that it's doing about half a billion dollars in revenue um, over the last year. But when they talk about the different industries that they are in, they don't give an exact number. But I think that the rounded number, and you know that I hate rounded numbers, that bite, the number of industries where they have use specific, uh, use cases specifically noted for that industry is really vast. We talked about politics. We talked about customer service. We talked about other places that are spending on customer service and marketing. But do you want to guess how many industries they're in already? Um, let's say let's say seven different industries. You're you're right. One thousand, one thousand <laughs> industry specific use cases. That's Maybe their tagline should be sprinkler. We cover everything. It's it kind of like that. I mean, I it's that it's, it's, it's just all over the place. Uh, what they do, but it's just fascinating, and it's so very 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Growth slowed down a little bit in the last quarter, but you know, generally, you know, he's at 29. They've been growing at a little better than a 30 percent clip the last uh, year or so, um, which is a lot given about you know, as I said, over half billion in revenues on a trailing basis. So interesting, uh, interesting company, lots of growth, uh, and a fascinating conversation. It's very right for this this era. We're coming up next on the Drill Down Podcast. We're going to have another show for you next week, but we appreciate your time. This week, Isaac Webster is our executive producer. I'm Corey Johnson. Ben Wilson has stitched this thing together in an extraordinary fashion. As an editor, we're grateful for that, too. The Drill Down's a production of the Business Podcast Network.